Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Good morning, Revo. How are we doing this morning? Yeah, just get excited. Like Stephen said, my name is Matthew. I'm on staff here at Revo, um, and I just graduated from Baylor University back in May, and so be praying for me this Saturday as the Bears play football in the Big 12 Championship. Last time we played Oklahoma, I cried myself to sleep uh, and went into a state of depression, so be praying for my mental health that uh, I'll remember that Jesus matters, not football, uh, and so be praying for me next weekend. But before I went to Baylor, I grew up here in North Carolina my whole life. Um, I've been a North Carolinian, or however we call ourselves, uh, for all 23 years. And I went to high school just down the road. Actually, if you take a left on Country Club and keep going, I went to middle school and high school at Calvary Baptist Day School. And it was kind of during that season of life of high school there where God really grabbed my heart and said, if this is true, this being the Bible, this being Jesus, this being that God is real and that God loves me enough to send his own son to die and then raise again so that I might be right with him, that if that's true, then everything about my life has to change. And it was then that that happened. And I hope that today could be one of those mile markers in your own walk with Jesus where you say, it was this story, this presentation of the gospel where God grabbed my heart and said, at least something, if not everything, has to change. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 30, which is in the Old Testament. And so if you guys will go ahead and turn there with me, we're going to start with verses 1 and 2. And what, what's going to happen is I'm going to tell this story, um, and then we're going to find out how this rescue story from David applies to our lives today. So if you've got a Bible, turn there, 1 Samuel 30. If you don't own a Bible and would like one for home, there's some at the Connections Bar in the back. Please feel free to go grab one after the service. Just say, I need a Bible, and someone would be more than happy to give you one. If you just forgot it at home, it'll be on the screen behind me. So let's look now at verse 1 of 1 Samuel 30. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag, burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went on their way. All right, we're going to have to stop there because we kind of like picked up a story in the middle of a story. So what's going on here? Who is this guy named David? David is the anointed king of Israel. So years ago, when he was a young boy, the guy named Samuel, who wrote this stuff down, anointed him to be the king over Israel. But now he's running away and hiding from the current king of Israel, whose name is Saul. And David has joined forces with the enemy because he's running away from Saul. And he's, you know, just said, I'm just going to go to this enemy camp and hang out with them because at least there I'll have peace of mind and be safe. And so who are these men? Verse 1 says, now when David and his men, who are these men? These are the guys that want the cabinet positions. They're the ones that want the secretary of interior and the secretary of defense when David is made king. So they're hanging out with him. They are fighting with him and running away from Saul and his people with David. And what is Ziklag? Is this like a Hebrew jet lag or, or what is this? This is a city actually where David and his men 
and then all of their families lived. It was kind of just a little pop-up city where the Philistines, who David was running with at the time, had given him this city because he had done well in their army and said, here you go, here's this little city, you can camp out here, leave your families there while you fight with us, and so that has happened. And then who were these Amalekites who, it said, made a raid and took all of their families and all of their stuff? Who are these people? These are enemies of Israel. And I mean, not just like, you know, enemies once every now and then, but enemies from the start. And so I'm going to take you through just a little bit short history of who they are so that we can help better understand the rescue that David needs to accomplish here in this story. So the first mention of the Amalekites that we get is in Exodus 17. The Israelites have just crossed over the Red Sea. Remember Moses or Carlton Heston, whichever one you prefer, you know, has raised his staff and split the Red Sea, and the Israelites crossed it. Now they're on the other side. They're tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty, and then out of nowhere, and for no reason, the Amalekites just attack them. And because they're vulnerable, because they're weak, they're susceptible to attack, so in they come. In comes this enemy to attack the people of God. So I want to read you from Deuteronomy 25. It'll be up on the screen. You can feel free just to read it off there so you don't have to turn. This promise that God makes to his people, starting in verse 17. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. And so that's God saying, remember how they attacked you after the Red Sea. And then we're going to pick it up in verse 19, halfway through. It says, you shall blot. And so this is God saying, this is what you're going to do about it. You shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. So God makes a promise to destroy this enemy that has attacked them. But it's going to take a while because we've got a few more attacks, a few more raids from these enemies Coming up, Numbers 14 is the second mention that we get where the Israelites have disobeyed God. They have not gone into the promised land like he told them to. And so the Amalekites and the Canaanites team up against the Israelites to attack them. And they're defeated. The Israelites are defeated because they disobeyed God. And then they said, oh, wait, God, you said go in? He said, yes, I said it like 20 times. And they said, okay, well, we'll go in now. And he said, well, don't do it now. I told you you're going to lose, so don't go in. And the Israelites do it anyways and get beat up. And so the Amalekites there for the second time have raided and attacked Israel. And then our third mention comes in Esther 3. Remember, as a church, we just went through the book of Esther, and we talked about how God works out circumstances for his glory and our good. And we see in Esther 3 that this evil man, Haman, desired worship and wanted to be bowed down to, and Esther's cousin Mordecai wouldn't do it. And so Haman says, oh, you won't do it. Instead of just like putting him in jail or killing him, he says he's going to commit genocide and kill the entire Jewish people. And as you read that story in Esther, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense why this guy got so mad at one guy that then he was going to punish that entire dude's people group. But if you read in Esther 3, it says that Haman was an Agagite, and Agag was not a place or a country or a town, but the name of a king. Would anybody like to guess what country that king might have been king over? He was the king of the Amalekites. And so Haman was an Amalekite. And that makes a whole lot more sense when you realize why then he would want to commit genocide against the Jewish people. Because these Amalekites have been against the people of God from the beginning. And then in Judges 6, we see the Amalekites sending out raiding parties to burn crops and kill cattle. Just basically to 
cause famine and wreak terror in the lives of the Israeli people, God's people, God's chosen people. This enemy attacks them for no good reason, just to cause famine and hopefully kill them. In 1 Samuel 15, this is where God's, I guess you could call it payback, comes in. This fulfillment of the promise that we read in Deuteronomy 25, he sends Saul, who is the king that David's running from, to kill the Amalekites. And he says, this is what you are to do, go do it. Saul says, okay. And he goes and he does it wrong. He deliberately disobeys God. And so God has to reject Saul as king and bring up a new king who is David. And so that's the Amalekites. We're only through verse 2. That's the Amalekites. They're one of Israel's most consistent enemies over the Old Testament, and they're the enemies in this story. So let's finish this story. We're going to jump to verse 16 and read from there, but first I'm going to summarize kind of what happened in the middle there from verse 2 all the way to verse 16. And so David they, and his men go to their place, which is Ziklag, and they find out that the Amalekites have taken everything, and they don't know what happened to their families. And so, of course, David's men are mad, and they threaten to stone David. And so David finds his strength in God, and he prays to God. And God says, go ahead. You can take over where they are right now. You can raid them. You can rescue your family and get everything back that you lost. And so they do that. David and his men set out on a journey, and while they're on their journey to find them, they run into this Amalekite slave. It's just a guy that had been left behind by the Amalekites, and he says, if you don't kill me, I'll tell you where they are. David says, bet, let's make a deal. And so he does that, and he takes them down, and they're the Amalekites, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 16. Look there with me. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives, Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and the herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. So David sees these Amalekites throwing a rager, celebrating, because they just raided a few towns and got a whole bunch of loot. And so he and his boys go down and just wipe them out. We're not sure if... This word here that talks about twilight from one day to the next means like 24 hours or just 8 to 10 hours. Either way, we know that David whooped them for a long time. And then he recovered his wives, his kids, his possessions, but also the families and the possessions and the cattle, the herds, the livestock of everyone that he was with. So the good guys win. What a cool story, right? It's awesome. But what's the point for me and for you? Why does this matter to me and to you? Let me ask you this question. Does, it sound, does this story sound familiar to you? If not, or if you're thinking maybe, I'm not, and I'm not sure where, let me describe this story to you in this way. There is an enemy that has been against the people of God from the beginning. They have been attacking God's people at their most vulnerable and their weakest points. They attack them from generation to generation, and the enemy takes no 
breaks, but is constantly trying to destroy God's people. And God promises to defeat the enemy, but it might take a while to see it. And so God sends this thing called, in our story, it's Saul, but in the story of our lives, it's the law. And says, if you follow this perfectly, you do this from point A to point B, perfect, then you can be right with me. And remember what happened with Saul, he couldn't do it. And neither can we. We cannot do the law that God says, if you do this perfect, you will be right with me. And so God has to send a different rescuer, something that's better than the law, someone better than Saul, someone even better than David. And this rescuer submits to the will of God, trusts God, and then goes to the battlefield church. This story is a beautiful picture of the gospel found in 1 Samuel 30. It's in the Old Testament, yes, but it is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the reason that we gather every Sunday and the reason we're about to take communion on this Sunday is because of Jesus and his sacrifice, his way of rescue. There is an enemy that's after God's people. And in fact, he's not just after us, but he has us. He's captured us. We are captive. There is no escape. We cannot escape the captivity of the enemy on our own. We are captured. We are like the family in this story. And God sends a way out, but it fails. It's the law. We can try as hard as we can to do all the right things and not do all the wrong things, but we will fail. So God sends a better way of rescue. I want to turn your attention to the prayer of David in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. We skipped over it, but it's too good to skip all and just skip it over entirely. It's too good. So let's pick it up in verse 8 and see what David says to God and what God says back. Verse 8 says, And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he, God, answered him, Pursue. For you shall surely overtake and you shall surely rescue. Jesus is our rescue. I want you to hear these words one more time, but think of them as God telling Jesus this. As Jesus stands at the edge of heaven about to enter into earth for the first time on the first Christmas. And Jesus goes, all right, God, I've come to do your will. And this is what God says to Jesus. Hear it again. Pursue. For you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. That was the mission that Jesus was sent on thousands of years ago. And I love that Communion Sunday at Revo is right before the beginning of our Christmas season. Because we cannot, church, we cannot have Christmas without the cross. If Jesus just came to be a good teacher, tell us a little cool, good things to do, and then died and was never heard from again, then we are wasting our time. And Christmas has no reason to be celebrated. But if there's a cross, if there is a way of rescue where Jesus reached down into our filth and pulled us out by his blood and his body broken for us, then Christmas has every reason to be celebrated the way that we celebrate it. We cannot have Christmas without the cross. So in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you up. 
There's two tables in the back and one table up front. The band is going to sing a song. And while they're doing that, you're going to come up here and grab bread and a cup and take it back to your seat. Then I'll come back up and we will take it all together. But I want to invite you during this song as you come up to use this time to worship Jesus, to thank him for what he's done, to remember his cross. Don't just come up here because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Come up here because you're actually grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So when you go back to your seat, I want to offer you the invitation to do one of three things. Either stand and sing loud. Raise your hands and praise Jesus for how good he is that he would die for you. Or you can sit if you need to sit and remember his cross. If you need to kneel in your seat, get on your knees before God and thank him for the way that he rescued you, then do that. However you worship Jesus best, do that in this moment. So I invite you to come and take these bread and these cups, take them back to your seat as we sing.